Welcome to Associated, a podcast making venture capital more accessible. My name is Francesca and today I have such, well, actually two very exciting announcements. First and foremost, we have a new co-host in the form of Tunde. Tunde, how are you? I'm I'm good. I'm really good. Um, feeling a bit shy, but but happy to be happy to be part of the uh, the main pod. The real deal. I'm so delighted to have you on board. I was very nervous to ask you and so, so excited to have had you say yes, because I cannot think of a better person to replace the amazing Petra. Yeah, it's a, it's a real privilege. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I know I kind of kept you waiting a bit after you asked me. Quite um, the tease. But that was fun. <laughs> and second exciting announcement is our guest today. So we have Megan Reynolds from Crane. Hello, Megan. Welcome. Hello. Hey, excited to be on such a seminal episode with the new announcement of the co-host. Happy to be here. Yeah, really. It really is a very exciting day for me. Um, And yeah, season six. Can't think of a better way to start it off. Um, and, and speaking of starting off, what would be really helpful if you, is if you gave a little bit of an introduction to yourself. Hi, my name is Megan. I'm an investor with Crane Venture Partners in London. I joined Crane from a company called Entrepreneur First, where I was for two years building and investing in that kind of early wave of AI first companies in Europe. Before EF, I uh, was at a company called Crowdcube. So finding investments for the platform and helping those companies raise money. Before then, I was an investor in Hong Kong, investing in large cap Chinese equities, a bit of a different life. But yeah, really, really good to be here. Yeah, and nice to have you here, Megan. Um, the one thing I, I found from snooping around on your li- LinkedIn is that you were a classicist. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I'm a super nerdy classicist. Uh, I studied, I actually studied ancient languages at university. Okay, and what is your favourite of the dead languages? <laughs> yeah, dead languages. Um, oh, it's hard to pick. So I studied, uh, I studied Latin, ancient Greek, and Sanskrit, which is ancient Indian. So hard to pick. I think Sanskrit's the most beautiful. So to be like super nerdy, uh, also the oldest. Uh, so yeah, probably, probably my favorite. That has to be a podcast first. For sure. As a biologist, everyone asks me, how did you end up in, in venture capital? But you had a step before that right at the the asset management in Hong Kong of all places so I'd love to hear the story of I'm I'm having a great time looking through Sanskrit now I want to go into asset management how how did that link happen yeah it's a, it's a great question it's not it's not necessarily the obvious the obvious route for classicists so I more or less kind of interned my way around London during studies I think I was quite clear like oh I don't think Sanskrit is my career you know, I think I figured that one out quite early. So I did internships in like asset management, private equity, investment banking. I think the thing I learned pretty quickly from the kind of London adage of like the ambitious thing is that you go into investment banking. And then the ambitious thing is that you go into private equity and that's where you kind of end up and then you do your career and then you retire. <laughs> I, think, I think I quickly realized from doing a couple of internships, I was like, okay, investment banking is horrible that is not a nice lifestyle not for me 
And then private equity is actually just investment banking with like a slightly different take. So I was going to be kind of lucky to learn those lessons quite quickly. And then, yeah, was really fortunate from an internship in London with Aberdeen Asset Management to land a role with their emerging markets investment team in Hong Kong. Super cool. Um, I was actually born in Hong Kong, fun fact. And so I have a bit of a soft spot there. So you had a great time in Hong Kong. And then what happened after that? So I was actually only in Hong Kong for quite a brief stint. Uh, It's an amazing city. But as an English speaker and not a Cantonese speaker, it was pretty challenging to read through all of the investment docs. And so I think kind of quickly realized there's a certain amount that's written in English. But yeah, didn't see myself staying there long term. So I came back to London after about six months. I came back to London, was pretty focused on like, oh, really want to learn how these amazing tech companies got to the scale at which we were investing at Aberdeen. Really kind of late stage, lots of tech, tech manufacturing. I was like, what, what, what happens at the beginning? Like, what's the, what, where, where the hell does that come from? Uh, and so started exploring the startup scene, met a few investors, early stage investors, and kind of through that, building that network, got connected with CrowdCube. Uh, I met an investor who was like, you want to learn, you know, how early stage companies are built, like from, from scratch, like right from the beginning, you should, you should talk to the guys at CrowdCube what they're building and kind of uh, enabling any founder to access capital, you know, you'll learn, you'll learn a huge amount doing that. So yeah, fortunately, we got the job with, with CrowdCube. Cool. And after CrowdCube, am I right in thinking that you found your way to, to EF? Yes. So actually, so at CrowdCube, I was focused mostly on, uh, and maybe a little bit about the role at CrowdCube, it was kind of finding companies that wanted to raise money on the platform. Um, so actually quite a lot of similarities to my job today in venture in that you're kind of constantly scouting, helping people think through their fundraising process and also helping them find angels and find investors. Um, so most of that work, I was kind of focused on like consumer fintech, a little bit of B2B, trying to be like, oh, what if B2B companies work here? And so through that, connected with the team at EF. And I think there was this almost like anarchistic feeling of EF was very like, yeah, we need VCs to invest in these companies. And I was like, oh, what if they actually have other funding options? And like, what if we can help some of those EF companies fundraise on the platform? Obviously thinking for myself, like, oh, great, like nice bit of deal flow that I can just have every six months. So kind of worked on a partnership with them. I don't think ever actually came to fruition, but meant that I met the team, got to know them, got to know the kind of magic, the magic environment that EF was building. So yeah, just basically hounded them until they uh, had a job opening. Very cool. And I feel like because EF is so successful these days that everyone knows it and it feels like it's been around for a while. But from what I'm, from what you told me when we, we had our previous conversation, it was still relatively early when you joined EF. So I'm, I'm quite curious to learn a bit more about what that was like joining a new scrappy company that at the time is a pretty novel idea, right? Of just putting amazing talented people in a room saying match up and then start a company it sounds in my mind kind of crazy but there's been they've proven this concept works and the likes of antler and many others have decided to to replicate quite a similar model but at the time when you joined I mean I would say that's quite a big leap because there wasn't probably a huge amount of evidence to suggest that that this concept worked and I think there was a lot of doubt 
specifically in the VC world, actually, that this was was, was going to be an idea that was going to take off. So you were clearly sold. So I'd love to know, like, why were you sold on it? And what what was it like in the early days? It's a, it's a great question. And it's like, I guess, early days. So I was joined about four years ago. And I think it's the 10 year anniversary coming up. So kind of, in a lot of ways, it was like kind of halfway through EF's life. But in a lot of ways, I think that first half of EF life was like a lot of learnings internally, but actually like it's accelerated a huge amount since then. And only just two weeks ago, I think we had our first unicorn, which is very exciting with Tractable. Uh, so that's definitely just like helped really cement the entrepreneur first kind of message and the magic that they create. At the time, I remember uh, as part of the interview process, they were like, oh, like pitch us EF, you know, like we want to hear you, like we want to hear you like sell EF to us. And I remember it was really based around this, like, oh, magic pony, like 150 million exits to Twitter. And I think we honestly, we just, I probably dined on, dined out on that as a company for a good five years before now seeing some amazing results. So yeah, when I joined, it was like pretty, still pretty scrappy. I think there was one person, the, the guy who hired me, Zephy, who was kind of almost like triaging the entire cohort. And Entrepreneur First is basically a program where people, a group of about 100 people, join every six months and they come to find a co-founder and build kind of a billion dollar idea is, is what we would kind of uh, pitch it as. Um, and there was essentially before I joined one guy who was like speaking to all of the founders, triaging ideas, helping them find the right person. It was just like almost like crazy. And I think that he had a team before, but it was just him when I joined. And so I was kind of the first hire onto that team. We were then I think three people. And then over two years, we built that to 15 people across three European cities. And so that kind of like joining as the kind of scrum program, we really built that into more of a product. And we really thought about how do we make this into a structured program and how do we make it so that we can scale this across cities? I think in total worldwide, we became six cities. The other important thing when I joined was that we just raised the Series A from Reed Hoffman. And so that idea of VCs being a little skeptical and kind of, uh, you know, not sure about the think I really joined at an exciting time where Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn, had um, obviously partner at Greylock had said like yes this is kind of the future and we back you to scale this globally so it was a really exciting time to join because definitely a lot of uh, scrappiness yeah I, just imagining someone triaging an entire cohort it just sounds sounds Tiring. terrifying yeah <laughs> it sounds terrifying and when you were there you were focused on helping companies reach product market fit right yeah, so I guess like the, the really early stages of that, we called it kind of like the company building program. And so it was when I started, it was like almost the full six months of the program from joining, finding co-founder, us at EF making our internal investment decision, whether to invest £80,000, typically like 50% of the cohort, and then working with those companies to raise a seed round in another three months. So very condensed process. And for at the beginning, we kind of did everything in between of like help hey who do you want to work with to uh here are some investors that you should probably connect with and in between that kind of helping them figure out what do investors need to see how much feedback do you need from your potential customers that will show that you found something really valuable here and how do we kind of like almost like help build that sales process from a really early stage so that you can get that feedback even if you don't necessarily you won't have made sales you won't have actual revenue how can you build that story Super cool. What a journey already from from Sanskrit to (laughs) who you have, right? And 
you've sold me a magical journey of, of working at EF with so much going on and scrappiness and helping founders. What, what was the decision to, to move on? Because for me, that sounds like such a thrilling environment with lots of potential opportunities to find your niche if you want to go expand in a different country or really focus on finding that billion dollar idea with those teams. So, so what was the decision for, for a sort of, okay, this is probably, I've, I've, got everything I need from this company and I want to move on it's yeah it's a, it's a good question and I think you've almost answered it in your question in that it was an insanely exciting time and like you know just the kind of personal development learning about you know what makes these companies valuable to investors to customers but the context being there's about 100 people joining this program every six months and there were like three to five of us on that, like located in that city, working with those companies, um, you know, assisted by some mentors and people that we had. But it was mostly us kind of responsible for this program. And so that's 100 people every six months over two years. That's about 400 people. And so uh, I'm also very, uh, you know, I love getting involved. I love like, you know, being as involved as possible with all the companies being built. And so I think after two years of that, it's very, I don't want to say emotionally training, but it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to, it's a really large scale of companies that have been built and don't work out and you invest or you don't invest. And so I think kind of getting to the end of that, like really, really exciting time. It was both like, wow, I feel like we've really got a product here that can scale and we can, we have built that team of 15 people. And also on a personal level of like, wow, I don't think, I can't meet another hundred people. <laughs> I don't have it in me. I really like, you know, 100, like really, like really impressive, high achieving, ambitious people who want to build the best company. It's incredible. But I was just, I felt that I probably had the value I was going to get from, from that experience. I know that sounds like real first world pains. <laughs> so like, oh, you know, too many high achieving, ambitious people. I, I can totally relate to that, that like emotionally it's so exciting but equally very draining having so many people rely on you and seeing so many people's hopes and dreams kind of and 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 I think what's worth pointing out with EF from my, what I'm mistaking is people have to quit their jobs so it, it, a lot is on the line for for this so I can understand that you know you, you that wasn't ideal for long term and and what made you look towards venture capital so I think because I wanted to do so much and because I wanted to get involved with more companies I think that was really the driver for great how do I do that in a way that works for me how do I use what I've learned about how these companies are built who builds these companies the people who are successful in this program how do I kind of use that and do that in a way that is sustainable for my life for the way that I can spend my time and so when I was kind of thinking through that I think like venture capital was a very natural progression in even if I'm investing seed pre-seed you know that's still the order of magnitude less companies less founders that I would be working with on a continual basis but enough that you know I've really identified the customer that I wanted to work for through EF, through working with so many amazing people, I was like, yes, I really know these are the people I want to work with. And so that was kind of the, right, now how do I figure out where to go? Is there somewhere that I can do that? Once you kind of decided that that was the the aim or the goal, how, how did you kind of come to, to Crane? So I left, when I left Entrepreneur first, I kind of left with this 
really strong internal thesis of I'd seen some of the most exceptional technical people coming out of some of the best universities in Europe. I'd seen them kind of like spin up their insights and build companies from their insights. And I'd worked with those people. And so I had this like really strong, like, yes, Europe is the place that these, the next generation of exceptional data-driven enterprise companies are going to be built. Like we have some of the best AI talent globally. Uh, and I actually have a good network of lots of them. So that was kind of what I had. I was like, great, I really think this is what we need to, I need to be investing in. And so that was kind of where I, what I kind of took. And I, I spoke to a few investment firms. Crane was the first, but actually I think it was one of my mentors from EF that I spoke to. And I kind of shared this, like, I really strongly believe that, you know, these people are the future. They're going to build the best businesses. And that's where a lot of value is going to be unlocked over the next 10 years. And they were like, oh, you need to speak to Scott Sage. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. Like, Scott, what does he do? And Scott is one of the founding partners at Crane. And so I got connected to Scott and kind of did my thing again. I was like, yeah, like, really believe in this. I'm really bullish. And he was like, oh, actually, that's our fund. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly what we do. And I'm sure I didn't say it as, uh, as elegant, eloquently as I just did. I was probably a lot more like, yeah, deep tech founders, Europe. Um, but yeah, so he was like, that's exactly what we invest in. That's actually what we've got our fund to invest in. Why don't you come spend a bit of time with us and let's see if that's a fit. And maybe it would be good to hear a bit more about how Crane views the world. Because I, I, I got the, there was like a deep tech angle um, and, then, and then there's like an enterprise angle. So it would be, be great for me not to like mangle that, but <laughs> to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, for sure. So Crane... We're a very thesis-driven fund. So we invest in enterprise software, B2B only. We invest at seed stage and the way that Crane views the world. I think if we like zoomed out on our thesis, it's like broadly every company, every large company is becoming a software company. That's kind of our like base state. Every company is becoming a software company and we want to invest in the like technology, early stage technology companies that are building that future that are enabling that future. So essentially kind of enabling that transition for the largest companies in the world to, to operate faster and to increase profits more quickly, all based around the technology that they use and that like kind of almost like make up the company. Um, so that's like really like the really high level brain thesis. And more specific, to be like more specific, we invest in like data-driven enterprise software so companies that have a strong data angle to the proposition, lots of like applied AI, uh, automation, infrastructure, security, the like overlap of like the really complex, the really boring companies are the companies that we love and get really excited about. And um, we also have a strong focus on companies that are developer first, the companies that are built for engineers and enable engineers to do their work more effectively and more efficiently. And that kind of all ties into how like what does this like next generation enterprise look like and how can we invest in the companies that are redefining parts of that stack great and like as someone who also spends a lot of time at, at the pre-seed stage not even the seed stage would would love to hear a bit more about how you how you think about the opportunity in some of these like enterprise businesses software businesses at seed especially given like you know the common wisdom is that most VCs kind of tell tell founders to go for like SMEs first because they're the sales cycles are shorter, etc. So we'd just love to to hear how you know you you guys think of that because I guess you must have a really unique angle. 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. And we, I guess it, it's much easier for a company to go kind of up market than it is for a company to sell down market. So if you start enterprise, you're, you're an enterprise company. Uh, and that's, so I guess like for maybe some more context on Crane and how we operate. So because we're so thesis driven, we've actually built our team and built our fund around supporting those founders, building often like more complex products, selling to very large customers with typically like pretty long, hard sales cycles. We've actually built our fund around supporting those founders, building out the commercial engine for the business from seed to series A. So that's basically everything that we do as Crane. Because we're so specialized, we can also be like very specialized and supportive with helping companies like take on those challenges that you mentioned earlier that I think a lot of funds kind of say like, oh, you know, just don't don't go after large companies because it's really hard. I think we go, yes, it's really hard. It's also really valuable. And if actually here are the kind of 10 landmines that most founders will stand on, like this is how you avoid them, like don't do this. Um, and that's where like as an investment team and as our kind of operations team uh, can be super, super helpful with early stage companies. I'm going to be really cheeky and ask if you could give me your top three landmines. <laughs> yeah, it's a, good, it's a good one. Or even your uh, top now one. I've mentioned the landmines. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely lots. And like, uh, maybe just like quickly to kind of touch on our like go-to-market team. The way that we operate is we have like three core pillars. Um, we focus on customer success, sales, and like marketing or product marketing. And so we have like amazing people who work on individual parts of that. For example, Rav, who built customer success at Slack before then Zendesk, before then Yammer, and just this kind of like really deep customer success expert. And so one of the things that he's really helped us with as a firm and our portfolio with is really understanding that customer success starts before making your first sale. And I think it's something that even like a lot of the largest enterprise companies have like kind of tagged in customer success like quite late on. And so you end up and like, most people see customer success as like an expansion function. How do we like expand revenue after we've already made a sale? Whereas actually, if you bring customer success in before even the sales process, you actually have a much richer understanding of the customer. You can actually help build out the right sales process early on. And so actually just kind of like making that switch and having founders think about that really early on has been really helpful and very transformative for the portfolio. So that's one. <laughs> Another one that we, we talk about a lot with companies is like when, when and how to make your first sales hires. And so I think what a lot of, especially more technical founders tend to do early on is that they say like, oh, I don't really like selling or like I'm not experienced in selling. I want to bring in someone who's done this before, has built big sale te sales teams, maybe like is already a senior salesperson at the large scale up. And they'll say, like, yeah, great, that person knows how to sell. Let's plug them in and then they can just sell this for us. And actually, for a lot of com companies with a, much, with a very complex technical product, we know that we've experienced that founders need to make at least the first kind of like five to seven sales to really understand how that sales process works and to really understand that the, that the product is solving the problem that they thought it was. And we've seen for companies that have like made that hire, that very senior hire often too early is that, they're not builders. Often people who've worked in a large company are like amazing scalers. They know how to like operate and build a team, but actually like figuring out product market fit for a product that if you need to iterate, could take you six months to like iterate on. 
It's just, it's like a, a total mismatch. And so hiring like a scaler salesperson that's very senior often can like slow down companies hugely. Um, and that's like a real landmine that we've, we help our companies avoid. Another thing I also love your advice on, because it seems like both yourself and Crane are very good at it, is formulating a thesis. And I think this is really important for anyone wanting to get into VC to do as a way to prepare themselves for for what's to come, because that's that's a large part of the role in, in many ways but also for founders, which you're highly experienced with of, of working at EF right from scratch. It's like, how do you even start with a thesis? So I was wondering whether you had any top tips of you know, how, how to even start in the first place, especially when you, you come from a role where you're not asked to do these sort of exercises. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think like one of the things I actually really struggled with, I probably like still struggled with a bit when I, when I joined Crane, it was like almost like the term thesis, especially coming from an environment like EF, where you know like thesis is a very academic environment. We take lots of scientists, like thesis, you know, it's like a it's your life's work. Um, so I think what actually has helped me in like is like redefining what thesis means, because I think it just means lots of things. Um, and the way that I think about it specifically for the space I invest in is almost like secrets. So kind of swap thesis with like secrets. And I think that's both in like the company, early stage companies that have maybe in their previous job or through working on unique technology have just like found this, found this idea or insight that not many other people would have seen. And so it's this kind of idea of uniqueness, new, um, and something that's like almost like hard earned. Um, and so that's kind of how I think about secrets. And so similarly to what we invest in now. I think often we're looking at spaces that lots of other investors kind of wouldn't look at. We're looking at layers of infrastructure within the enterprise stack that probably not, not a lot of other investors are looking at. And so for us to kind of like uncover those like secrets, it's often like talking to people who work in those industries and like, you know, hearing lots of customer feedback. But honestly, I think most of our like thesis building is really just driven by the founders that we meet. And when you have that feeling of like, oh, wow, they've really uncovered something here. For example, one of my, well, one of my, my third investment, silver company called Silverflow, they have this incredible team that are all, uh, basically all of them are ex-Adgen. And what they had from their role at Adgen, from the team, what they were working on, they had like basically like built the processing platform within Agen. So the, the kind of almost part of the core that makes Agen tick, they had like gone through years and years and years building out this platform, figuring out how it works and like the, the domain knowledge within that was just like, not, there aren't many teams in the world that actually know how that works. And so they've actually spun out and now are building that processing platform outside of Agen. And it's this kind of like, almost they just have this like secret that they're building the company on top of. And it's that kind of uniqueness. No one else can build it. That's the kind of the thesis that they have and that they're now uh, doing very well with, hopefully. I love this high thing, this thing of swapping thesis for secrets. I think that's that's brilliant and, and can be applied in so many scenarios. It's like what makes you as an individual a, 
able to bring something to the table that no one else is going to bring. And a bit of a side note, actually, I watched this really interesting video where um, the fellow in it was like, my recommendation to you is not to be good at one thing, because if you are, then you have to be the best at it in in the world and there's like one percent of people that are they're amazing like basketball players is, is a great example however if you combine it with two things and i think that's kind of how you start compiling a thesis last secrets is is you become very very bad at or maybe even three things so if you're a very good public speaker you have a depth knowledge about drones and you have a network of people that you can draw upon in order to to sort of build something then like that makes you a hell of a good founder and I think or or indeed makes you a really good person for a fund to hire in order to focus on on those kind of technologies so I think I I really like your your uh description of what a thesis should be I think it's awesome and I think that's almost like probably better encapsulates like my pitch to Crane which was almost like hey, like I have like unique access to like all of these amazing technical people. I like broadly understand the technologies that they've been building. So like I have like, I'm at least literate. And I also have this network of lots of like people and investments that I've been building for the last few years. And so like, you know, find, find me someone, find me someone else that does that and like just loves enterprise software. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the, the secret angle. Perfect. The most interesting book I, I read last year was uh, was Range by like David Epps, Epstein, I believe. I probably have mangled that. And that's literally all about people who are taking like little pockets of experience from from different walks of life or different areas. And that's almost where those where a lot of secrets come from at the intersection of seemingly unrelated knowledge. Love that. Completely and completely agree. Speaking of, of secrets and, and knowledge, I was wondering how, how you guys see the market right now at Crane. You know, three, four, five years ago, enterprise software wasn't really flavor of the month. So are you still seeing yourselves in a unique position or, or is it still very competitive when it comes to deals? And um, how, how do you think about that whole piece of the puzzle? So I think, yeah, exactly. I think enterprise software is getting spoken about more and more. And actually, a lot of the big success stories coming out of uh, coming out of COVID and coming out of the last eighteen months have been uh, kind of companies driven by the cloud. And so it's getting more popular. I think thinking back, maybe like five years ago, when Scott and Krishna, the two partners of Crane, set up the fund, they. Basically, we're like, we've been investing in enterprise software. They were both partners together at Draper. And they were like, okay, we really see this opportunity. We know that this is going to be, these are going to be the companies driving the next 10 years. But when they started doing that five years ago, the reception was like, you're going to build a fund that only invests in enterprise software? Like, are you, are you crazy? Are you sure? Like, nothing at just enterprise software? And I think back then they were investors in Trustpilot, which is obviously now doing very well. At the time, it was already doing quite well. So they had some early proof points, but everyone was like, whoa, European enterprise software? I'm not sure. And so obviously fast forward five years and the market has changed significantly. And I think even, even in the last two years since I joined Crane, we're definitely seeing more and more com in companies that we would have 
before been like, great, applied AI, really complex sales process, huge enterprise market. We would often be kind of the only one or one of very few. I think more and more we're just, yeah, seeing a lot more funds uh, expanding their reach and trying to trying to cover enterprise software more, especially in companies that are building open source, developer-first technologies. I think that's probably also where the overlap between consumer and enterprise kind of meet in the growth models, but not so much in the uh, kind of tech and the complexity of the products. So secrets out, basically. People have cottoned on that this is an excellent uh, secret uh, to to invest in. So, I mean, you've discussed a little bit more about it earlier that one of the things that makes Crane unique is this knowledge base and having this thesis from from the get-go. Does this factor that you've had five, six years to create processes, to formulate top tips, give you the edge when pitching to the founders, do you think? Or have you had to work harder, hustle harder in in making sure that you win those deals now that more VCs are flocking to these founders? We, I mean, we definitely have to hustle harder and make sure we're doing our work as quickly as possible. But I'd say maybe our edge is twofold. I think the, the core edge that we have is because it's really that we only invest in enterprise software. And so the founders that we're meeting, they can look at our portfolio and say, wow, every single company, and we have 45 by now, every single company in this portfolio looks like me. All of the founders, more or less, are building a similar company that I am, and it's a, it's a hard company to build. And so I think that's definitely a killer edge that we have, is that all of the companies are going through this really similar process, and we can obviously leverage that to our advantage in, in kind of uh, interconnecting this company. Um, I think secondly, the second killer edge we have is really our team. And so again, because we have this portfolio of companies that have all gone through a very similar journey, and we've learned since that earlier the landmines that they have, we've actually built our team to tackle those challenges. And so it's been super intentional. We've been really, really lucky in the amazing talent that we've been able to attract to our to our team, to our company. Um, and so, for example, Rav, who can jump in and like really instructionally, practically and tactically help companies building out all things pre-sales, pre-sales, customer success for complex sales processes. We have Anil, who was um, VP marketing at a company called Honeycomb and before then Signal FX, which is these kind of... Uh, really high growth data infrastructure companies. Um, and so he just really understands like how do you kind of concisely and compellingly talk about your company and what are the ways that you can um, kind of drive adoption using marketing and using the way that you talk about your company. Um, and so we have these like amazing people and we have more people on our team that I could, I, I, will, I will spare, I'll spare for now. Um, and so we bring those people in from almost like the earliest conversations that we have and so they can have a really, really deep conversation around like, great, how are you actually going to scale this product? What are you currently doing for marketing? How are you driving adoption? And that's like pretty much our entire process is like doing a workshop and like how to build the business. So there's almost like a vertical platform model there. So you have your vertical and then you've set up your platform to specifically facilitate supporting that type of company. Exactly. So really, that's a really interesting take. And speaking of team, actually, I was wondering whether you are hiring at the moment. 
It's a great question and we don't have a formal process, but to some extent, I think any venture firm, if they say like, oh, we're not hiring, I think all firms are in some way hiring. I think teams are always capacity constrained, especially in this market uh, where deals are going faster than ever. The work that we have to do is very compressed. And so, yes, no formal process, but always open to speaking to more people. If someone who's listening to this wonderful episode is uh, obsessed with enterprise software, very passionate about the thesis that you have at Crane, could you give them any top tips on maybe demonstrating that they might be a good fit for the team? Yeah, it's, it's a great, um, I think that's almost one of the challenges for us being so specialized is that it's not necessarily the obvious choice for someone wanting to work in VC that they would want to work for such a narrowly focused fund. However, for the people who are similarly as obsessed with like scaling out these companies, I think just proving that, proving that love of enterprise software, I think it's quite non-intuitive, but I think it would be something that would be quite hard to fake. Not anyone would try and fake it. But I think just like, you know, genuine love of of, uh, enterprise software, discovering new technologies within the enterprise stack, um, figuring out like the tactics and how to scale those companies. Crane is an amazing place to learn how to do that, to learn from some of the best people in the industry at, at doing that. Um, and so, yeah, I guess the, the tip is just really thinking about, you know, what is the genuine interest and get in touch, basically, because we can nerd out together. Great. In addition to reaching out to you about a role at Crane and learning a bit more about enterprise, what other types of people would you would you like to reach out to you and how can they do that? Yeah, um, always would obviously love to hear from uh, any founders building enterprise software companies at the early stages. Um, so always keen to, to speak to more people there and also love speaking to anyone who's actually just working in an enterprise role and um, who maybe like procures tech software or is working with new technologies. Uh, always love having those conversations with people at large enterprise companies. And yeah, just anyone who, to be honest, is just keen to learn more about enterprise the best way to reach out is just with my email, which is megan at crane.vc. And if you're into enterprise software, please give me a follow on Twitter. My handle is at megan underscore London. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Megan, for your time. It's been fantastic. And, and I cannot reiterate enough. I cannot think of a better person to start off season six with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. No, I've loved it. And I'm uh, yeah, really happy to be kicking off the season. And of course, thank you to our lovely listeners. If you'd like to reach out to us, please do on our email, which is associated.podcast at gmail.com or look us up on Twitter at associated underscore pod. And if you have any enterprise loving friends, please do share. And please do give us a like as well. It would be tremendous if you did. Thanks again. Bye.